Hello, I'm Richard Hurley, the BMJ's Features and Debates Editor. Our recent head-to-head asks, are nanny states healthier states? And I'm joined today by the authors, two professors of public health, Simon Capewell from Liverpool and Richard Lilford from Warwick. Hi there. Good, good morning. Morning to you. So if you, if you Google the term nanny state, you don't find many positive mentions. In, in fact, it tends to be used pejoratively for undue state interference in adult decision-making that's, that may seem overprotective. But, Simon, can you explain why you think that we should look more favourably on the term nanny state? The nanny state is actually good. It's, it's a canny state. And the language gives us the clue. Grandmother, professional carer, these are positives. Nanny state basically means a safe and healthy environment for our children and families. Uh, It's creating a safe and healthy world for us. So Maslow's Pyramid, physical safety, shelter, health, food, water and sleep. These are the fundamentals of health. And only then can we enjoy our family's love and affection, esteem and and fulfill our potential. So the nanny state underpins um, all the things we take for granted. Safe drinking water, drains, unpolluted air, car seat belts safe planes, immunizations, smoke-free environments. If we think about countries without that sort of regulation and legislation, then those are, those are much uh, more hazardous places. And the, the strong, the corporations, are then free to exploit the weak. Well, Richard, seat belts, regulations to keep water and air clean, taxes on uh, unhealthy products laws to restrict tobacco use, these sound healthy, these sound like good things, but you draw a, a distinction in your argument um, and, uh, and seek to exclude some of, some of these restrictions from what, you, what we might call nanny statism. Can you explain the distinction that you, that you try to draw? Yes, the distinction I draw is, is between uh, direct, direct coercion over people's action and indirect influences through through third parties, through industry. And um, when it comes to directly inhibiting what people do, uh, then you need to be careful. Uh, you shouldn't say that, um, that, that health trumps all other considerations. Individual freedom is also a very important ethical principle. The nanny uh, is only used for looking after children. When you grow up, you no longer need a nanny. And so um, a nanny doesn't sweep up the fact that, uh, you, um, that, we, have, that, that we, have, we have speed limits on our roads, for instance, because asserting your freedom to drive as fast as you like, threatening other people, you're limiting other people's freedoms. So when there are third-party effects, then, uh, then, then the government has an obligation to intervene. And uh, when it's a child, they also have an obligation to intervene. But when those things are absent, then they must persuade. Now, of course, that, that, that's talking about state's direct action as far as individuals are concerned. But sometimes the, the state has to correct for market failure when there's an intervening party between, between the state and the individual, very often industry. And then, then, of course, if there's market failure, well, one of the points of the state in the market economy is to intervene. Uh, and the state does so for many good reasons. Antitrust legislation is one good example. Uh, and correcting for market failure over salt is another good example. 
Do you, Simon, do you agree with this distinction that uh, there, there's some difference between uh, um, adults, you know, protecting adults from harming other people, but allowing them the autonomy to harm themselves? I certainly agree with Richard that the state has a right to intervene on behalf of citizens and that it has a duty of care. Uh, Richard offers the example of removing salt from food, and there are many, many other examples of removing arsenic or, or trans fats or, or indeed sugars. Richard uses the phrase coercive, which is entirely in, inappropriate. The, the nanny state is mostly about ensuring that the default is the, the healthy choice. It's, it's not a case of coercion. People can still go out and, uh, and buy, buy uh, cola in cans. I, I will also challenge uh, Richard on, on the business of, of individual autonomy. Uh, this is a, a favorite defense by libertarians and indeed by the industry, but, but it's flawed. Firstly, individual autonomy is not an all or non-phenomenon. There is a continuum. And so it's, it's a case of so often a trade-off. Is the individual prepared to cede a trivial amount of autonomy for a substantial health gain? And the state often uh, makes the judgment. Uh, elected representatives make the judgment, supported by public opinion, that yes, intervention is appropriate. That's why we've got regulation for uh, smoke-free Places. That's why we've got regulation to make sure that drinking water is free of contaminants. Richard, do you want to come back to on any of those? Yes, points? I certainly do. <laughs> so, um, so, so, so Simon's argument is that 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 actions are are not coercive. Well, the the answer is this: an action is not coercive if it's not coercive. In other words, people don't see it as coercive, then it's not coercive, and you may you may follow it. But if people, in exerting their autonomy, decide that they want to do something which uh, is unhealthy, then they should be allowed to do it. It would be awful to live in a place where you couldn't do unhealthy things. Just imagine it. Um, if you want to persuade the population uh, to a certain opinion, then you have every right to persuade them. In fact, just as, a, as somebody marketing uh, cigarettes or petrol has a right to persuade people to use their product, so those of us who are concerned with the harms that tobacco and more especially petrol do uh, have every right to point out their limit, their, 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 their dangers and try and persuade people to, um, to use less and perhaps even reach a point when the, when the population opinion is so strong that we can, that we can um, take stronger action uh, on uh, unhealthy fuels or foods. So, do, Richard, do you think that the worst forms or the most extreme, extremely coercive forms of nanny statism at, can actually be unhealthy? Well, it depends how broad a definition of health you want to use. People of my persuasion, and I am towards a libertarian viewpoint, people of our persuasion do not think that health always overrides autonomy. And I think Simon's, in, in a sense, agreed with that. One re responder to the debate on the BMJ.com mentions the damage that can be done by flawed, flawed policy. For example, dietary guidance to eat less saturated fat <laughs> when it might not be as harmful as, as once was thought. I mean, what, what do you say about that? So, uh, I mean, the evidence is the evidence. Um, it's true that the stronger the evidence and the larger the effect 
the greater is the argument for state intervention. Uh, so both of those have to enter the equation. But I'm not one of those who says that until you have irrefutable evidence, you shouldn't be prepared to act. They can act before you get to that level uh, on, the, on, the, you know, on, the, on the predominance of evidence. And especially if the harm is very great, there's no reason to act. Of course, in acting, you have to be careful. If, if you're acting uh, before the society has come run to, the, the, to your point of view, then there are two hazards. The one is that you're overriding autonomy to, to, to a degree, and the other is that it might backfire, uh, as prohibition did in North America. Yeah. I mean, something that comes up in your argument, Simon, is about the, the influence of big industry and the, and the lobbying power and the marketing power big industry has, um, uh, you know, and its interest in reducing regulation and reducing um, public health efforts. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how this, that impacts on this debate? Thank you. Yes, indeed. R Richard talks about major threats to health. And the major threat to health, uh, both in the UK and, and globally, is non-communicable diseases. These are driven by tobacco, alcohol, processed food, and uh, sugary drinks. The, the producers, uh, the, the, the big uh, multinational companies, uh, are, are poisoning the world. So we need to regulate not just tobacco, but we also need to uh, control the, the supply of alcohol junk food and, and, and sugary drinks. The industries obviously have a major conflict of interest. The industries have one legal obligation, and that is to maximize profit for shareholders. So they are going to use every possible strategy to uh, block anything that threatens sales and profits. And sadly, what we've seen with, with uh, big food and big soda is, is the use of the same tactics used by big tobacco in, in previous decades. Um, front groups, lobbies, promises of self-regulation, lawsuits, and industry-funded junk science that confuses the evidence. And there, I'm quoting Margaret Chan, the Director General of the World Health Organization. Thank you. Uh so let, let me just ask Richard, given that there is this huge spending by industry on marketing and lobbying, uh, you know, which, which completely dwarfs the spend, spending on public health, can there ever really be uh, true autonomy for, 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 for the public around decisions such as smoking or drinking alcohol or eating processed food? Well, I think, in a way, I think smoking is quite a good example of how things should unfold. The, the evidence was controversial. The harms were enormous. The market failure, which uh, Simon describes, and I don't want to deny, is, was corrected. And now smoking rates in high-income countries are plummeting. And so um, I, I think that is a good example of correcting the market failure. Uh, and and uh, you know, on sugary drinks, you know, I, I'm not against uh, le legislation there, but I mean, partly because children are big consumers, that is a case where nanny can get involved. They, my stricture is that you know, we shouldn't vilify industry as some sort of morally reprehensible uh, creation of society. We should take Theodore Roosevelt's view of industry, 
which is to make it do the things that uh, we, the population, wanted to do. Simon, do you have any final comments or any other points you'd like to make? I, I, I think we have to stand up for the, the nanny states. As, as Cicero said, the welfare of the people shall be the supreme law. The welfare of the people shall be the supreme law. We have a duty to make the world as safe and healthy a place as possible for our families and friends and, and for, for future generations. We, 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 need to, we need to observe Maslow's pyramid of safety and, and healthy environment. And uh, I think it's going to be essential for the optimal health of, of not just our own families, but for every person on this planet. Richard. So when Cicero said the welfare of the people, um, that can be interpreted in two ways. One has to use one's own moral compass to work out which way. And so it could mean that, that they must live as long as possible and be as healthy as possible, or it could be that they should be as free as possible, or somewhere in between. Um, I would interpret it as somewhere in between. And um, I don't, uh, I don't uh, think the epithet of right-wing libertarian suits my position very well. Just libertarian will do fine, uh, as far as I'm concerned. And lastly, on Maslow's pyramid, I, I, I really don't think um, this, this argument holds up philosophically. Um, Ma Maslow said that, that when somebody... Um, that, that, that in order to, 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 be, uh, to be able to reach the, if you like, the higher aspirations on the pyramid, the person had to have belly and some water. But it doesn't mean that, um, that if, you, if, if you're a poor person uh, and you've indulged in some unhealthy activities, that you aren't able to enjoy those higher aspirations, including the aspiration to be free. Simon Capewell, Richard Lilford, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. You can read the debate online, and as ever, we'd be delighted to know what you think, so please send us a rapid response. We publish the best as formal letters to the editor. And you can listen to other debates in our archive on SoundCloud or by subscribing to iTunes. Thanks for listening. 